Hello, hello, hello. Good morning. Greetings and salutations, Mr. Michael Haitley. We're recording now. Good morning, D. Madden. We, we've been talking before. I, I think that we should, uh, we should try to make it a point to just press record earlier, because I do appreciate that with a lot of people that, uh, that I yeah. listen to that I like. They just start recording. And but uh, as we were just talking about, we're both up in our heads now because so uh, so so the first episode went up and um, a lot of people talked to me about it a lot a lot for me uh, a lot of a lot of close friends actually listened to it they loved they loved it got a lot of good feedback <clears throat> talked to you about it and yeah. uh, we're both totally up in our heads now. Oh, this is a this is a prime lesson of mindfulness because uh, <laughs> we got a lot of good notes from I got a lot of good notes from some very close friends uh, who, on a positive note, all said unanimously that uh, they would listen to they would continue to listen and that we were on to something. But, uh, you know, they were telling us they were telling me a lot of things that that uh, were true, that made sense that uh, basically all resolve to this is you're, you're really onto something. This is good, but you, you guys got to get your shit a little more together and this here's what you need to do. And so I was, uh, I lost a little sleep over last night. I gotta good. say. Good. You're nervous. I I'm That's nervous. Good. I went, I went from, Oh, fuck Michael. Do we need to do we really need to do this? Do, do we need to prepare for this or that? <laughs> I don't want to, I just want to, I just want to get on the mic and talk. And, and actually a friend of mine, one of my friends, Adam goes, yeah, it sounds like you're just two dudes that think you think you, you uh, can talk about shit. And, uh, and, uh, and, and now you're just doing it. And it's gotta be a little more than a like, fuck man. Really? Does it? But I, I, I guess it does. You know, I, uh, Rick Rubin called and he said, um, <laughs> he was really into it. He had some notes for me. Yeah. Three of them. And I'm yeah. not going to tell you what they are, but they were pretty good. So, yeah. And, uh, I think I got a, uh, a text from Brian Eno, but he hasn't no notes just like hey, nice job. So we, we, we love those two. They both, have no, <laughs> they, they both have no idea who we are. Hey, what's, what's the name of this podcast again? It's called Music, Mindfulness, and Madness, and that's what it's about. We talk about music, we talk about mindfulness and meditation, and we talk about all the things that make us crazy mm. uh, about the first thing and, and how we use the second thing to mitigate the third thing. I believe you, D. I believe in you. That's what it is. I don't care what your buddy said. That's a word. Oh no, he he loves me. He 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 loves this. No, I believe in this. He actually gave. He actually threw out like I was telling you earlier uh, the other day. He he threw out like a ton of great ideas. I was like, oh shit, yeah, we should talk about that. We should do that too. We should do that too. It, it's funny um, how how much and and i i know it's more, even more so with with some of our friends i can think of a few friends who just have no memory of anything uh from the last 20 or 30 years uh <laughs> like you know you and i have known each other for so long that there's just so many things we take for granted you know just yeah. like things we know about each other and stories and stuff um and uh a lot of it 
over the past few days has been pe people reminding me about shit that that we've done or shit we know. Yeah. You know, it's been a lot of, oh yeah, we could talk about that. Oh yeah, we could talk about that too. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. Well, I, li I like the idea for this episode. We really, you know, just wanted to talk about what we've done to, to the point of your buddy who's like two guys who just like to hear themselves talk, maybe. You know, but like, <laughs> I love the sound oh, of our us, voices. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about us. Yes. Our voices sound amazing. We, we, we love to listen to ourselves talk. That, I mean, that's, that's what I guess. That's, 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 that's what we should say. What's the yeah. podcast about? We just like to hear ourselves talk. And yeah, we just, no, we just no. heard we didn't we didn't know everybody else. Yeah, I was lonely as a child. This is so this is like that's how I got into music. <clears throat> you know? Neglect. I just wanted to like someone to hear me and now look at us now. Well, look at us now. Microphones and video and look out. S sitting we're, in the dark in 110 degree heat. We're so important. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally buying into it today. But speaking yeah. of important, I think, you know, we, I, well, the assignment I gave you, which you said yes to, was like to find sort of five things that, you know, were defining for you moments in your life or like victories where you're like, oh shit, I'm onto something here. Like, you know, it could be, I hate that, that expression bucket list, but something like that. I had some of those on my list. Where it was like, oh, the, the reason I got into this, and then you hit those moments, and you're like, wow, this is pretty incredible. And you know, this is like one of those things that we could revisit multiple times because I don't know about you, but it's kind of yeah. like it's kind of like top five albums I like. I like, you know, that's it's going to change if you ask, if you were to ask me today. Yeah, whatever that list looks like is going to be completely different tomorrow or an hour from now. For sure, and that's pretty much this too. And that's a its own kind of mindfulness practice. It just is being, just it? being present to that moment, and then it passes, and you're like, "Now what?" It's one of the nice things about doing this is that it it, it is it is forcing me to uh, to do things that uh, I've either been a little lazy about doing, or uh, just just don't do. Yeah, just don't do as much as I should. It, it, you know, we call it mindfulness, and and I and I would say that uh, that that you're a whole lot better about uh, practicing it than I am. I, I I tend to be more reactionary with my use of mindfulness and meditation. I get thoughts, yeah, and uh, and then I go, oh yeah, I should probably do something about those. Where it seems seems like you actively get up in the morning and do something. I, it's not something I always do. It's not which, as much as I should. Yeah, I mean, I have sort of daily practice stuff that I do. And this is, you know, this is really helpful. This uh, podcast is one of them where it helps to supplement sort of, you know, like, what's what's the podcast for? Like, what are we doing it for? And uh, what am I doing it for personally? You know, I can only really sort of answer my own stuff. And uh, what do I want to talk about? What's the story I'm going to tell today? Yeah. In the world, do I wake up and go, oh, I'm, I'm fucking doomed. You know, or I've got like, <laughs> you know, like I've had those, those, those thoughts are mostly gone now, but I wake up and I've got this like grip of fear that used to come up and I don't know where it came from. Oh, just, I still have that nightly. I can actually yeah. set, I can actually set my alarm 
to when it happens. It happens almost nightly. Yeah, there you go. So, the, you know, that's that's really like the aware, just, you know, this uh, awareness of your thoughts and condition. And that's that's all I really see mindfulness is. I mean, there's deeper practices for it, but I don't want to be all kind of uh, overly thinking it or too thinking too much about it or putting too much energy into it, just being aware, sitting still and like listening to the refrigerator buzz and my air conditioning going and, you know, my, the birds outside, you know, just being, just being present to that. And it helps, you know, it's a more spacious sort of existence and, uh, and also brings in more of the stuff that I don't like as well, but that's kind of part of it. So then, then you can address that stuff. Put in on, put in on some Brian, you know, there you go. That helps me. Yeah. But we're, we're doing, we are now doing the thing that uh, a few friends of mine complained about. We're, we're meandering off topic. We actually have a topic that we're going to try to get through. We had topics last time. Yeah. And, and we, we got through one of them basically. Well, who's, whose show is this? This is our show, right? <laughs> this is our show. It is our show. So we get to it's do our whatever show, we want. But you know, it's Your our show. Your voice sounds so amazing today. Oh, Did thanks. I just, yeah, mine. What do you think of mine? Is mine beautiful? Oh, you, well, you, you always sound, you always sound, <laughs> you, you okay, always great. sound lovely to my ears. Lovely. Well, lovely. Thanks, for, thanks for listening, you guys. That's the yeah. end of the episode. That's it. Woo! That's so, it. You yeah. know, I it's uh it's probably some amount of my 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 personal Catholic guilt, you know, where, where like it, which which plays into you know m- most of it's probably a lot of the reason that uh um I well, I don't know. It, it could be part of the reason I couldn't sustain a career that because you know I I make music and I put it down it's like, well, you know, and then the Catholic guilt kicks in. You're not really going to want to hear this because yeah. I, I feel a little guilty for doing it. No one wants to hear that. I, no one wants to hear that. You know, so when so when people who have opinions that I care about, like my sister or my friend Adam, yeah. uh, this kid Max that I got to be at work that I got to be really tight with, I a little bit of that kicks is like, oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. I got to do that. We got to do that too. And then I forget it's, it's we started this. <laughs> No, it's good. I think that's the madness, you know, whatever that voice is that says, no, nah, sh- what are you doing? Why are you doing yeah, that? Yeah, right. And I go, hi, I, I gave him a name. His name's Frank. Oh. So he's got an identity now. And I just go, hey, Frank, I don't have time for you right now. So you need to come back later. Go bug D. He's, he probably needs to t- hear from you. Yeah, my, mine is just my dad's voice in my head. Yeah, there's always really? someone. It's, everyone's it's, got a it's the voice, voice of, in there. It's the voice of Richard Henry Madden Jr., Everyone's got that voice in there and everyone says, what voice? Right. I don't have a voice in my head. And it's like in those moments. Yeah. But anyway, my voice is telling me we should get back to the subject at hand. We should get back to the subject at hand. See, it's just like mindfulness. You just, you just lean back to the center. (laughs) So where do we want to start? How do we want to start this? Do, do you, do we want to do, do we want to round Robin? Do, do you want to just go five and five? How's this going to go? Yeah, what a, why don't uh, okay, I guess I I'll do one and, and then you do go one. for it. All right. 
I think the first one that I wrote down, which was kind of obvious, was, uh, you know, I got into music to, to, I think, to really be seen and to be heard, because I had, there was a lack of that growing up for me. And uh, my parents would probably argue that, but for me, you know, I just really, I wanted a voice that I, uh, and this was all unconscious, I didn't have this in my head. So I latched down to music and it was something that uh, it helped me to sort of work through all this stuff. And then, you know, one of the things, you know, a little kid in Southern California playing music was like, you know, you get a record deal, you know, like all these big, huge bands. It's like, you want to get a record deal, you know, not a, not a, and I didn't even know there were little record deals, but just like a big record deal, you know, from one of the major labels. So signing to Atlantic Records was like one of those moments. And that was like 90... This was extra fancy. Right? Yeah, this the band was extra fancy. And uh, it was the most unlikely band to ever get a record deal, I thought. Absolutely. And why is that? If you just look like on paper, it was like, you know, first of all, our, you know, we were really, really good. I thought, you know, we put on a pretty compelling live show. You guys were a really fucking good band. And a really people, good band. And a lot of people in town loved you. Everybody I knew loved, loved you. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just like, it wasn't just like indie kids. It was everybody like extra fancy was universally loved. They were, you know, everybody was hip to, to the extra fancy. It was, it was really cool. And it was, it was also, uh, there was also a lot of uh, misunderstanding about the band. I mean, the real story behind the band, you know, I joined the band in 93 or four late 93 or early 94, I think. And uh, I'd seen them before and they were very different. They had a couple different incarnations. At one point they had a, uh, a DJ in the band who was like, you know, scratching records and stuff. Oh, and they really? had a, yeah, it was a Jack Zinder from Silver Lake. He had um, Rest His Soul. He's passed now, but yeah, he was- um, Mr. Fancy was Lincoln Park before Lincoln Park. No, I wouldn't go that far. Come on now. But it was it was interesting. And I saw them and I'm like, oh, wow, that's kind of cool. You know, it was very different. When I was in the band, there was no DJ. Jack was gone. Jack has actually passed away. He died in a car accident. And uh, a much beloved Silver Lake scene guy, a promoter. And anyway, uh, and there was a girl named Beth in the band who played guitar. I saw that incarnation. And then I, I didn't saw know that them. either. I, did, I, I, never, I didn't know any of this. I, 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 I just always kind of thought the band was formed around the time you joined the band. No, no, there was a, there was a guitar player before me, um, right before me. And I was, uh, I was dabbling really in recording like mobile recording. So I did, I recorded some demos for them. I offered to do some demo recording and <clears throat> with their other guitar player, cause we had mutual friends. They had introduced me to these guys and I saw them play and I'm like, wow, you know, Brian was just such like, he just owned the stage. You didn't, you really didn't know what was going to happen, but you knew it was going to be compelling and uh, just consummate performer, just in a wild card and really great. Um, so that guitar player, I think we were about, you know, a week before we were going to finish mixing it. And, you know, I was still trying to work out. I was not an expert at recording. I was still trying to like flex my muscles and figure out like, how do I do this? I just, I knew I wanted to be, recording stuff and I also wanted to be playing stuff and about a week before um we were going to finish up you know I said uh 
I think the guitar player was out of the room and I leaned into him and I said, hey, look, if your guitar player ever quits, let me know because I really love this band. And they go, oh, okay, cool. And then a week later, Dusty quit the band. And I went, and they called me and they said, were you serious? And I said, yes, yes, (laughs) yes, I was. And yes, I am. And uh, I didn't, I didn't have a guitar amp at the time. I had a guitar, but I was, I had played bass for many years before that. Cause I sort of, I originally played guitar and then I kind of started playing bass in some, some bands and, uh, and then really I'm like, I want to play guitar again. I want to play guitar in a band because I had been performing. Most of my early performance stuff was playing a bass and, uh, and it was cool. I, I cut my teeth and I learned a lot and, you know, made a lot of mistakes and, uh, all that, but extra fancy was one of those things, you know, and I said, yes. Who, and so who, I, who, who, who did you play bass? Who did you, who did you play <clears> bass with? I played, uh, just a bunch of local stuff. I, d- I played with cheese. This, this is me. kind of steering the conversation. Cause I know some of these answers. Yes. Well, I played with cheese boy. Do you remember cheese boy? I do remember. Che- I, I went to Casbah. Remember I went to Casbah once. Yeah. When you guys were recording a demo or something like that. Yeah. He had, he had some deal with uh Kaz down there. And so we went and uh, recorded there. I was in a band called Rosie lane. We, we so had like, just interject we- one more time. So yeah. Kat, for those who don't know, Casbah is an iconic, was an iconic studio in Orange County. Um, it was owned by a dude named Chaz Ramirez and um, a bunch of a bunch of the early uh, Orange County punk stuff was recorded there. Mommy's Little Monster, all, Social Distortion recorded a lot of their early stuff there. Mommy's Little Monster, I think Agent Orange might have recorded there. Uh, I'm not yeah. sure if the adolescents did, but it was you know, it was in Fullerton. It was in Fullerton and, and uh, all the early great punk bands uh, that originated in Orange County were based in Fullerton and it just became the hub for everybody to record at. Michael recorded there. I, I got to record a demo there uh, when I was in the satellites in the 80s too. Did you play with Cheese Boy? Yeah, I did that. It was in a band called Rosy Lane and we played like, you know, big hair, yep. clam, punk, rock, metal, whatever you call it. So anyway, that's that's what I was doing beforehand and, you know, other small bands, too. And then uh, switched to guitar, joined Extra Fancy. And I actually I basically I think we played like three songs at a rehearsal and Brian's like, OK, great, you're in. And everyone's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We got to talk about this. And I went, why don't you guys just talk about it later and, you know, just let me know what you think. And uh, that was sort of the beginning of that stuff. And then. Um, I jumped in. I, th- I remember our earliest shows were like we opened for L7 at one of Jack Zinder's clubs, you know, and wow. we opened for Beck and we played with uh, Weezer and we played with like Possum Dixon, all these locals, sort of the Silver Lake scene was really beginning to sprout and uh, take root. And, you know, everyone was broke. We had nothing else to do and we loved to play music and there was just so many great bands. And so that was really the beginning of that. And man, if I keep talking, we're going to run out of time. But uh, but that it's, band just—it's really... a podcast, Michael. If, if we don't get to me, we can get to me next episode. I, I so um, go ahead and finish the thought. But I thought it'd be it'd be good for uh, our listeners to for you to talk a little bit about Brian Grillo, and because Brian Grillo was was already um, a bit of a fixture in that scene, right? Yeah, well, he, he was he in a also... band. He was in a band called Lockup. Yeah, was that was the band. That was the band he was in before that. Uh, and Lockup had uh, it was him, 
And they were signed to Geffen Records, so yep. he had already sort of had a record deal. The guitar player in that band was Tom Morello. Yeah, it sure was. And then right after Lockup broke up, Tom went and started this this tiny little band called Rage Against the Machine. Yep. And uh, I'm sure none of you have heard of him. But um, anyway, really super nice guy. I've met him a number of times, and he and Brian still stay in touch. And, you know, Brian had an interesting story. I mean, he was he was gay. He was HIV positive, and he was openly gay. Uh-huh. Um, but he wasn't in when he was in lockup. And so he really wanted to sort of stretch his songwriting, his lyric writing. And, I did not uh, know that. Yeah. And so uh, he's still alive and well, being himself God. out there in the him. world. He's and um, but it was like, why, why would you want to sign a band like that? It's, a, you know, it's a liability, you know, in turn, if I was just thinking from like a record labels point of view. And we didn't care. We were just doing our thing. You know, most of the bands in Silver Lake were just, you know, I don't know that we had any huge intentions, but all of a sudden there was this rush of record labels showing up everywhere. And um, and we signed a little deal for like a single, you know, and I remember it, the, I think it was called Diablo Musico, it's the label. And they were these guys and they came to us and they're like, we want to do a single with you guys. And we had a, a band meeting about it. And um, they were like, we don't, we don't want to sign for a single. We want to wait for like a real record deal. And I'm like, okay. I was sort of the voice of reason in the band. And I said, uh, I don't know. Are there any other record deals on the table right now that you see? And they're like, no. And I said, it's a one-off deal. It's a single. And they want to pay for it. And we could, you know, have something out there in the world. And, uh, Anyway, we ended up doing that and we put some scandalous artwork on the front. I'll tell that story another time, but so it, so we got, that got picked up and the, the artwork that was on the cover of it was scandalous enough. Uh, I guess I might as well tell the story. It's, tell the it's story. Got, tell the story, man. Yeah. It's, um, don't, don't worry about time. Tell the story. There was a, uh, our manager had this, um, who, who was, is also gay, he had this uh, skin rag that had this illustration of John Travolta in that sort of Saturday Night Fever pose, you know, with his finger in the air. Uh-huh. But he was, he was naked with a huge erection. Nice. And so he said, uh, before you guys say anything, just hear me out. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, we, and we heard him out and, and, you know, he said, I think this ought to be on the cover and I'll tell you why. And he said, first of all, He's either going to love it or he's going to hate it. So if he hates it, if he loves it, great. He's going to talk about it. He's not going to like it. But if he sues us, then you got something to write about. He this. So our manager. This was was Brian saying this or this was. No, this is our manager. Your manager. uh, Paul Paul V. And he was he was a record promo guy at Warner Brothers. So he knew a lot of people and he was like really into the band. And uh, yeah, so so I I think I was the only guy that really considered it. And everyone was pretty much like, no, no way. You can't do that. We don't want to be known as a gay band, you know, because Brian was the only gay guy in the band. Yep. And uh, we became kind of known as, you know, oh, they're a gay band because Brian was, you know, he sang about his life and these really compelling, amazing stories. And it was like, if if, you know, Iggy Pop. I mean, he's more akin to Iggy Pop than uh, like Mark Almond. You know what I mean? 
He was like a crazy think, man. He was, yeah, if he, I think, he put on a show. Yeah. If I think of like gay iconic singers, he wouldn't be the one I would think of, but he was like, just amazing. Just rock and roll beast. Yep. So anyway, in, including him in the, in that meeting said, uh, no way, no way. I don't want to do that. And I thought about it and I, I kind of waited a day and then we had a band meeting separately without our manager. And I said, I think we ought to do it. And here's why I think he's right. That if we, if we get sued for this, first of all, it's hilarious. Second of all, if we get sued for it. So great. He's going to spin this into something, you yeah. know, I said, what do we got to lose? It's not our money, you know, and we're just this tiny little band in Silver Lake. <clears throat> and so, uh, they came around, we did it and they made a thousand copies of it. They sold out instantly. They made a second thousand copies of it. I mean, it was like, it sold like hotcakes. It just went like every place it went to. And then, um, we got a cease and desist from Mr. Travolta's lawyer saying, no. you need to stop this or we'll take you to court and you need to like send us the whatever's left. You need to send that to us. Oh, and I'm, how, but how could they even, how could they even do that? It's, just, it's not even a picture of him, is it? It was like a, well, it was an illustration, but it was compelling enough. I mean, lawyers can sue you for whatever they want to sue you. So for. it was an illustration of John Travolta. It was an illustration of him. Oh, but he's a public figure. I mean, it doesn't. I know, but it didn't matter. So we we got that. And then the, and then Paul started doing his work, our manager, and he spun it into this big story. And then, uh, the AP wire picked it up and it went around the world. It went crazy. Like everyone in every town, even on TV, like local news, they were talking about it. Like John Travolta sues this band and they couldn't even show the picture on TV. I mean, it was like, Oh my God, was, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. Was, yeah. And I, and I wish I'd have thought of the idea. I just convinced the guys. I'm like, I think this is going to work. Yeah. And, um, so anyway, yeah, I have a couple copies of it here somewhere, but I, I won't show it today. I never knew this story. Yeah. And so we got a lot of attention. The people that put out the single said, Hey, we'd like to do a record with you. And we went, well, this is going really well. Yes, let's talk about the deal. And um, so we started doing, and we've been doing recordings already, but anyway, they, they got pulled together some money and we did more recordings to do a full record. And, um, and then, you know, we were getting all this attention. These people wanted to do videos with us. David Lynch's girlfriend at the time was like, she did a video for us. She wanted to do it on spec. And, uh, and then she get paid back. Anyway, there was like, it was wild. So it just like, like a rocket ship, it started to pick up and that was the best thing ever. So that was like one of those things. And so anyway, that turned into, um, Atlantic records started sniffing around and, um, but we'd already created a vacuum. You know what I mean? Like we were, we were already on a trajectory and we didn't really need a record label per se. We did. That was the next obvious step. But we had so much press going on. It was like, we didn't need him for that. Sounds like it. So anyway, we worked out a deal with them and, and um, yeah. And then, you know, David Lynch's girlfriend, uh, Dorsey Alavi wanted to do this video for us for the, uh, you look like a movie star song. And, and it's, it was a, such a cool, creepy video. You can, you should be able to find that online. I am. And, um, I'm going to look right And then we're, you know, they played us on MTV 
and uh, that was like one of those pinnacle things. So we got a rec- we got basically sort of three record deals, and then a video on MTV. That was another sort of pinnacle moment of like, hey, look, mom, a star, you oh, know. Yeah, I found it. And then it ended very quickly after that. But that's a whole nother story. Shall we play a little bit of "You Look Like a Movie Star"? Uh, sure, just a little bit. I want to hear from you. It's good for you because. Basically, give your brains. MTV2 A to Z, we're up to the Y's. Coming up, Mary J. Blige, as well as Everclear's You Make Me Feel Like a Whore. So they're working on their next CD. It's called Songs from an American Movie, Volume 1. They're also writing their follow-up already, Songs from an American Movie, Volume 2. Volume 1 should be out in the summer. Volume 2 should be out by the end of the year. Yeah, you guys are on the uh, okay. MTV. Right now, it's time for Extra Fancy. So singer Brian Grillo used to be in a band with Rage Against the Machine's Tom Morello called oh, Front Lock. Yeah. It's true. Here it's is the band with You Look Like a Movie Star. <laughs> that would be You Look Like a Movie Star, Honey. And the band is not Front Lock. It's Extra Fancy. I just thought I would point that out. Well, it's not Front Hit Lock it. Either, but okay. Uh... Oh, did it freeze? Oh, there it goes. Here he comes, and yes, you step away. Brian. Here he comes, and yes, you do what he says. Are you in this? Freezing in, I'm yeah. dressed and frozen. Freezing in, your clothes standing next. Oh, there you are. You Oh, you've got hair. Look at you. Yeah, back then. My hair. Me, yeah, you had your ponytail. So anyway, that was... There's a little bit of you. You look like a movie star. Thank you very much. Yeah, so that was one of those pinnacle moments of, you, you know... And then it was interesting. People started treating me different too. People were kind of on the local scene. They were kind of, oh, hey, Michael, how's it going now? Mr. Rockstar signed a record deal. And I was just like, really? Was I not just drinking some beers with you like a month ago? Like what, what happened? That was really weird, really weird. And so I thought, okay, that's cool. Whatever. It wasn't a whole lot of people because everyone else. I didn't feel that way. I was just happy that you were in a band. It, it was fun. It was an interesting trip, you know? Um, anyway, so that was kind of, that was my first sort of thing on my list for something of interest, uh, of note from my life for music. That's, that's good <clears> and stuff. It, and it came in a way that like was totally unpredictable. Like you, if you'd have told me that that was going to be the path, I would have gone, no, I'm not going to do that. But it was just like a piece at a time. So that was really the thing about just being present to what was offered, to, you know, and put in front of you. And you don't have to take everything, but you really want to consider things and go, where does this fit into my big plan for my career? Like what? Are, and, and, and it may not look like the answer to the next step. I mean, you may have to, like, take a step to the left and then move forward. And that's kind of what I, I recommend to people just really be thoughtful about, you know, what offers are put in front of them. And you don't have to say yes to everything. I, w- I don't. 
So anyway. Oh, you don't. I was going to try to work through mine in chronological order, but that's an awfully good segue to um, to what happened to Penal Colony and the, and the story of Penal Colony and how we got signed. So... Um, I, I was going to, I was going to try to, what, yeah, I was going to try to work in chronological order, but I'll just, I'll talk about this. So, um, I was, I played guitar in a band, um, uh, called X photo. It's a band I was playing in when I met Michael, the, uh, uh, the other two members of the band, uh, moved to new Orleans. I couldn't follow them. Uh, I had, uh, just, I just had a kid. I just had my, my son, Gray. Um, just had a new family and I didn't know anybody in New Orleans. All of my family was here and um, it just didn't seem like a good idea uh, to, to follow them. I did, did entertain it for, for a minute and we talked about it. My, my wife and I at the time talked about it and just decided it wasn't probably wasn't a great idea. So I, so I had to just say, just wish them the best and um, figure out what to do next. So they moved and um, I, did, I did the thing that I learned from, from Larry and Exfoto, who, who mentored me a lot, who taught me a lot about just everything, just about writing music and the creative process and stuff. And there are still a lot of things that, that he taught me that stick to me this day, to this day. And, and the, the, the thing that stuck with me at the time was if you don't have anything going on, the best way to, to, to get, make something happen is to just start recording some stuff, record some stuff, yeah. make some demos. Um, tr just try to get some ideas like what, you know, about what, what you want to do next. What, what, what is it going to sound like? What would that, what would that thing be? Um, and then start passing it around to people and, uh, and see if you can get some people to play with you. That's, and that was always kind of Larry's MO. And that's how he started most of the bands he started. And, and I, that, I just, I just uh, decided, well, that's what I'm going to do next. So um, there was about a year there um, where I was just kind of hanging out in, in my bedroom and uh, recording stuff, recording ideas. And uh, I was hanging out with my friend, Mike Vague at the time, working at the record swap with him. And um building up, doing things like building up sample libraries because he had an insane collection of records um, and just doing that. And then uh, at some point, our mutual friend, mine and Michael Haley's mutual friend, uh, a woman named Nikki Black uh, came to me one day and said, hey, um, the Texas Vamps are looking for a singer. And I knew who the Texas Vamps were because they they had uh, we 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 had played with them a bunch of times when I was in X Photo. We got on with them really well. It was a band based in the Inland Empire, uh, Inland Empire area. For for those uh, who don't know, is 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 a collection of cities east of southeast of LA. It's like Riverside, Ontario, Pomona. Um, and there was a pretty active music scene in, in Riverside in particular, because Riverside was a college town. That's where they were kind of based. Um, and uh, they were good guys. And I, and I liked, I liked what, uh, what they did. And um, she said, they're looking for a singer. Um, would you be down to talk to them? And I said, yeah, sure. So I went to the rehearsal space 
um, in Brea and, uh, and watch them play. And I, and I gave them a tape of stuff I was working on. They liked some of it and, uh, came back a few more times. And, and the next thing we knew we had, we had a band called Penal Colony. Um, so we started playing around and, and, um, things happen pretty quickly from, from there. We, we, we were playing around for, I don't know, six months or so. And then we got a show at the whiskey and, um, just much like what you were talking about, Michael was just kind of a right place, right time thing. We just, we, it's one of those things where, you know, so much of music is luck and, and you make your own luck. And the way you make your own luck is just to work your ass off and just, just get, put yourself out there as much as you possibly can. And that's what we were doing. We had a show at the whiskey. I can't even remember who all was on the bill. Um, but Steve Vai was there. What? Steve Vai was there. Um, and uh, a guy named Brian McNellis was there, who was uh, an a, who at the time was an A&R guy working at, at Roadrunner Records. And um, he was actually there to see another band. And it, it, it just kind of worked out that he got there. He got there in time to watch our set. And uh, he found me after we finished. He was like, holy shit, that was fucking awesome. Do you guys have a demo tape? And by this time, you were helping us do uh, the ADAT. We, we had done some demos. We had, we had done some demos with, with, uh, with an ADAT machine. And so, so we actually had some stuff canned and kind of ready to go. I think we, we already had uh, the mixes of that stuff we were passing around as a demo. And I was like, yeah, yeah, we do, totally. And it was kind of nice, too, because we had... I don't know if you remember this, but we actually ended up recording a bunch of stuff. All of this stuff is on, on the demos album, the, the Penal Colony demos album that just came that um, that we just released uh, a few months ago. I'll put put a link to that in the episode. Where can you, where can you find that stuff? Oh, that stuff's everywhere. Um, we'll we'll put links up in the episode. Okay. We'll put links to a bunch of stuff. We're gonna we're gonna do do it right this time. Um, so. Uh, yeah, so so if uh, it was just just a, a nice confluence of events, we at, we had a demo, a good demo of seven or eight songs because we were actually just kind of going down the path, traveling down the path of just um, deciding, fuck it, we're just going to put out an album ourselves. And I think that was kind of the mindset at the time amongst us, and we figured out thanks to you and thanks to you turning us on to this this brand new gadget called the ADAT machine that we could do that and we could do it in our our rehearsal space and we could do that at a, at a really good professional level of quality that that wasn't really possible at that time without spending a yeah. ton of money on renting like a, a, a an analog multi-track machine and trying to lug it there and the tape uh that you know analog multi-track tape is i mean still is just crazy expensive um so it 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 solved all of the financial problems and it, it'll, and because we were doing it in a rehearsal space and because we, you know, you, we had you helping us out, we were able to record a bunch of stuff. So by the time Brian McNeil said, do you have a tape? I had like, I think I had, we had a, a demo of like seven or eight songs. And I said, yeah, here's her, here's a tape. He loved it. Um, long story short, he um, landed at Cleopatra records and we got a deal with Cleopatra um 
in like 90, like in a 91, 92 uh, on the strength of that tape. And it worked out pretty well. And Steve Vai played all the guitar solos on that, right? The story I heard, so, <laughs> so, so we actually heard secondhand, I can't remember from who, that um, Steve Vai was in the process of, he was working on an album and he was just trying to get ideas for, for like other ways to approach guitar, like other things to do. So he was just like searching for inspiration and apparently he was going out a lot at the time. Mm. And um, uh, he, I think somebody told him about the headliner and he showed up and he saw us play too. And um, we heard that he really, really liked the guitar stuff that Andy was doing later. Yeah. And he was great. actually a bit of a fan, um, which was kind of cool. Um, yeah, but that was pretty crazy. That was something we found out much later. It was kind of neat. Yeah, Andy was Andy was a beast. He, you know, he had this he had this crazy guitar setup, and uh, at the time, but like he could he could get things out of that setup that were just magical to me. Yeah, he was great. I I really liked his style a lot. I don't, you know, it's rare that I see or hear someone and go, "Oh wow, that's interesting." You know, it's like most of the time it's kind of. There's there's a sort of bell curve and everyone's kind of in the middle there and you're like oh that's cool right on, but then you hear something like what is that where's that coming from because I know you guys pulled on a lot of, you know, eighties you know like uh, uh, sort of that post punk stuff that I very I, like we we had a lot of stuff in common that, that so the thing that we recognized that we all we, we immediately realized, you know, the, the thing that helped us click, obviously, just like any band is, is, you know, just recognizing all the things that we have in common that we like. We were all huge fans of Killing Joke. Yeah. Um, from there, the, the, they were younger, so they weren't, they weren't um, hip to, band, to, to like the earlier post-punk bands like Gang of Four. So I turned them on to Gang of Four. They love that stuff. And, I, you know, Andy and I have talked about this in recent years. We're still really close. We talk all the time. I feel like Andy had a real heavy, like shoegazer vibe to, to the stuff that he did as well. Like I, I listened to, to his stuff now, like when we were, when we were working on uh, mastering those demos, you know, having the hindsight of, um, of uh, listening to shoegazer and, and I, I, I'm still discovering, rediscovering stuff like slow dive. I just bought a bunch of slow dive on vinyl um, yeah. and just realizing that, that he had a like kind of a heavy, shoegazer thing going on too just like the 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 just the noise stuff that he would do the sort of atonal and melodic noise stuff he would do is just uh reminds me a lot of like like a lot of things he he would he did wouldn't sound out of place on a slow dive album or or lush even or yeah gosh, i don't know my bloody valentine he's i know he was a big my, my bloody valentine fan so um you guys are great. I really love that stuff. It was just, and you, cause you guys stood out, especially from the, all that Inland Empire stuff was just not that, you know? No. And that was a thing. That was a thing. Like, yeah. They were it's coming out of there, you know? And I, I knew the other guys in the band from that old Texas vamp stuff and yep. playing shows with, you know, everyone had giant hair at the time. And <laughs> there was, there were a couple of bands that were the kind of the kings of the scene out there at the time. There was a band called 
Suicide Machine, I'm pretty sure. And there was another band called Spiderworks. And and those guys, and then there was a club that was kind of like the whiskey of the Inland Empire called Spanky's. And everybody played at Spanky's. Spanky's was a big club because it was was the College Town Club. It was right down the street from uh, UCR. And, um, and we played a lot of shows, uh, with Spiderworks. Suicide Machine, I think was broken up or moved or disbanded by the time Penal Colony was playing a lot, but, uh, yeah, the Texas Vamps were in my mind were right up there. Like they were just, uh, yeah, they, they were, they were doing the goth thing, but they were doing it their own way. It was very, very heavy, very rock and roll. Yeah. Did, which they- I really liked. And they were also playing at, uh, well, I think where I had met those guys, well, Jason was was doing roadie work for um, the drummer of that old band that I was in. And we, we were playing at the Green Door, which like was kind of the center of, that was like in Montclair. It was right next to Claremont, which I don't know how Montclair and Claremont got put next to each other, but that's where it is. Yeah. Anyway, it's long gone now, but it was like a honky tonk that like all these huge people played there you know, like country stars back in the 70s. And then in the 80s, these weird colored hair weirdos started showing up and playing rock and roll stuff. And it was, you know, all the local scene, much yeah. like, this, like a, lot, thing, a lot of hair bands were playing out there. It seems like I, mean, a lot of, I saw I the, the Bullet Boys there. I saw Warrant there. They played there. All these wow. like, and uh, who else played there? Red Cross played there. I saw Blue Cheer there. Blue Cheer was kind of on their last leg, and I saw yeah, them play. They were loud as God. It was unbelievable. Well, like I a saw lot all of things, sorts of weirdest bands. Like a lot of things in those days, there were not a lot of places to play out there. Yeah, it was right? it was pretty limited. There and, was it, like Spanky's, Green Door, Munchies, I think. It, there's that place Munchies, like in Pomona. Yeah. Oh, there was a, a Oscars Corn Huskers in... Wow. Um, Oh, what was that? It was out that way. I saw Striper. Do you remember that Christian band? Of course. Striper? Oh, who could forget? Yeah, we. I saw them there, I think, a couple of times. I was sort of really, not sort of, I was big into metal, and I was just like, who are these guys? And they were so weird. The Those guys were based in Anaheim, so they were all over the local rags all the time. Yeah. So anyway, so it was just a really weird mix of bands. You know, that's hence you know all the all the sort of influences that you guys had and definitely that i grew up with um it was that scene was really great to me that way it was it was very freeing because i'd been playing in a band that was uh confined you know was playing mostly playing all all the goth clubs and death rock clubs in la um and playing in la a lot uh and and you know how that scene is that scene is is not is is really just not like the rest of the country no it's not because there's thousands and thousands of bands there this is probably still true today it's just yeah. thousands of bands and it's very competitive and the audiences there are jaded and the and the, the the great thing about about getting to play with those guys and play and, and most of our early shows were, were out in, out of those places in the inland empire uh the scenes out there which we're just happy to have live music like yeah, you know, it was not friends. uncommon for us to to play with Spiderworks, which was very prog rock that that band, and, and then to play with a band like Mock Turtle Story, which was very like pixie-ish indie rock type stuff, and then we'd play, and that that kind of thing never just didn't happen. Uh, 
in the band I was in before in, in Hollywood or LA. It was yeah. kind of nice that way. But the, the one thing, there was something I, 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 I glossed over a bunch of this. So the other big event that happened to us, the thing that really kind of triggered label interest, because we ended, ended up actually getting uh, around the time of that whiskey show, we were already beginning to get courted by uh, uh, a few labels. Um, and then right around that time too, uh, something else uh, really important happened. There was a, a writer, you know who she is, uh, who wrote for BAM magazine uh, named Kathleen Terman. Uh, she's still around. She uh, still still writes for, for, for rags and does interviews and stuff. Um, wrote a book, I think about, I think she, she was like, she wrote a, book, a biography about Alice Cooper recently. Hmm. I'll find that out. Um, but in those days, you know, pre-internet, um, you know, it's been said many times that the the way kids found out about what was happening in the scene and shows is, was through things like Flipside yep. and um, Maximum Rock and Roll. And and uh, in L.A. was L.A. And I, and I think BAM was like based in Northern California. Like LA and Northern California, LA and SF, it was BAM magazine. Yeah. And in those days, Kath Kathleen Turman was the tastemaker of the music industry in LA at that time. Um, it uh, our story was was a story that could be told by by many people. If you got mentioned by Kathleen Turman um, in her column, and you got a picture from her in her column, uh, then then people started calling you and that happened to us. Like she, she uh, put a blurb about us in, uh, in BAM had a picture of us uh, had, had something really nice to say about the demo. And, and literally the next day we started getting phone calls. We started, people started contacting us. Um, and that all kind of culminated in um, the deal with Cleopatra, which was really great. So it was just a lot of just being in the right place at the right time, you know? Like you said, just being present, being open to. Yeah, I think come. just you know showing up every day, and I and I I really like showing you know up. what you got from Larry too about um, you know if you don't have anything to do and you're waiting for someone to come knock on your door, you need to like just make start something yourself, you know, no matter what it is, whether you're a, a musician or a fine fine artist or a illustrator or whatever it is, it's just. I just went to an art exhibit yesterday and it was just, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pieces from this artist at, uh, at LACMA. And I was thinking back and one of the things in the exhibit was he did a, uh, he recreated his studio in Japan. He's a Japanese artist and I I'm, can't believe it. I can't remember his name right now. And, um, and in the middle of this room, there's a, this little tiny shack that was built there. And you can look inside the shack and it's lit up and there's like drawings all over the floor and he's like got some and I was just like, this is so this is where this guy came from. And he was just making art, you know, and putting it out there. And who knows if you're ever going to get popular or not, but you just got to make stuff, you know, and if you're a, an engineer recording artist or, um, you know, you just got to make stuff in whatever capacity you can, you know, like your story of you guys recording, you already had, you know, some recordings done. And it was like, if you had not had those, maybe oh, yeah. it would have been, I mean, it, it, it would have slipped away. It would have happened. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a really good point. I, that I didn't really talk about. 
Yeah. Um, we were ready. You know, it's, there's, yeah. there's something to be said about being ready for, for luck, right? Yeah, you, being you just... ready for luck. Like that could have worked out a, a completely different way had Brian McNellis came, came to us and, and I was like, oh, well, we don't really have anything. Yeah. And we and don't have any it. money and we can't go into a studio. So, but we'll try to, we'll, we'll try to uh, record record on a ghetto blaster and I'll give you something that way. How's that? Like yeah, that wouldn't have worked out. Yeah. And you know, it, it, it's going to happen, but if that's all you have, then that's what you do. You know, yeah. we would do that with songwriting uh, where we just, you know, Brian would come in. It was so crude. He would just have like a, this little like a uh, tape recorder and he would, you know, and it sounded like, you know, it was crazy sounding. So he'd put a tape in and hit record and he'd like try and do something to an, an idea. And then he would bring it to the studio for us to listen to. And we're talking just about like, like, like acapella or like, what would yeah, be he would, he would do that. And he finally started to learn how to play a little guitar. And, uh, but he would kind of, he would do this thing and then he'd play it. And I was trying to sort of decipher like, what, what is he doing? And I'm like, do you mean like this? And I would play something and he's like, yeah, like that. So we had this like interactive thing that we would do. And then everyone would start playing a little bit. And then all of a sudden we're into a groove or something. That's funny. And that was how we wrote. And it was really just like trying to decipher hieroglyphics. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was the strangest thing. And then he would go back and write lyrics over it. So it was very reactive. Um, but we, we used whatever we had, you know, and we didn't have uh, a whole lot of money. We were kind of you know, working day jobs and uh, I had oh, some access. to. All some of us were so poor. Like I think about like how dirt ass broke we all were. I don't even like, I don't even know where we found the money to rent the gear from AID. Like I can't even I can't remember yeah. because I, we were all so poor. Yeah. And we were just all throwing stuff together. And I mean, and I think that's, it's important, you know, just to be present to what you have and where you're at. And if you need help, ask for help. Yes. And uh, cause people I think are, are pretty generous. And I think on the note of mindfulness is like, you got to assume the best always. I I'm always assuming it's going to turn out well. And that's a, a choice of a story that I subscribe to because it's inevitable that I'm going to be successful and it's not going to look like anything I think it's going to look like, but I can recognize it in the moment and go, Oh, you know, I have these moments of, you know, awareness where I'm like, you know, like with, with the artwork for the, the cover for that single, that first single, I just had this intuitive thought and I listened to our, our manager, that could have easily gone the other way. And I don't know what would have happened. You know, I sure. don't know. I mean, we yeah. were compelling. We had enough going on, but it wasn't, we were like the most unlikely band that was going to get a record, especially a major record label. That's, I think that's, that's a really good example of, of, of like you said, yeah. being present and just listening to your gut. Your gut told you that that was the right thing to do at the time. Yeah. Which and is also, something that, that I do a lot too. Like even going back to before I even understood with my, I, like for, for me, it wasn't mindfulness that back in the day, I didn't know, I didn't know what that was. I didn't know anything about meditation for, for me, it was just like, just keep moving forward. Just keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. No matter yeah. what, just, just if that didn't work out move on to the next thing. Just keep moving on. Yeah. Cause it's, um, a, it's a game of action. You know, it's really about you, you have an intention, which is like you want, and it's good if you have more clarity around what you want 
and but not not hold on to it too tight just be like i'm committed to this because the people i know that are really successful they're obsessed with what they do and i love that and when i get into something i you know i kind of have these blinders on you know i still have to be aware of sort of what's going on but i try and keep this like focus on what i'm up to mm-hmm. and assuming the best yeah like something's going to turn out here i just gonna i just need to keep taking action and keep paying attention and, and trust uh, in your gut, man. Trust in your gut. I've, I, I, the other thing I was going to say was, is one thing I have always done is if, if, if something like, like your situation came up and, and it spoke to me, um, it spoke to me the right way and it resonated with me somehow. And usually it's a very physical thing. It's as much a physical thing as it is, um, yeah. it is, it is a, as it is a guttural thing. You know, I, I, I know I've talked to you about this before. Like it, I, if, if I have, I don't want to get too far up topic, but it it's, I, I do ha- have a physical reaction to things when my gut is telling me this is right. Um, and, and uh, more, the older I get, the more, the more often I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you about it or I'll talk to friends about it. And, and then I'll, I'll let it, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, marinate on it for a while. And if it still feels right, then I'll go with it. But um, yeah, it's an important lesson in just in just trusting your gut and not ignoring what your gut is is yeah. telling, what your heart's telling you, right? Yeah. Well, we each got to. We talked about one item. Each. I know. Yeah. I, I think this is going to be a recurring theme, Michael. You know, you came up with that big list of stuff the first time. I said, okay, pick one or two of those things. We might get through that. Yeah, it's all we perfect. can just, you know, we can just keep going on this. We can we can do number two next episode. Yeah. So that that's what you that's what you guys have to look forward to, kids. More, I need more use, stories from Dean Michael. I gotta go use a little boys' room too. So you hold on a second. Okay. Hold that thought. Okay. I'll be back. Don't listen. So while Michael's doing that, I, I hope I hope you can hear me. It's that time for our segment, uh, pick a random card for oblique strategies. And um, I've got one locked and loaded and ready to go. Um, this time, uh, you know, something that was that uh, that uh, was pointed out to me by uh, by some close friends is that we should put links to this stuff up. I'll try to find a link um, to uh, this app that I heard about and to the the deck of the, the physical deck of cards. Uh, on Amazon for y'all. Um, just uh, reminding you all, this is uh, this was um, a deck of cards that uh, Brian Eno uh, used back in the day and and still uses to this day, as far as I know, uh, for just triggering creative ideas. And um, I bought a deck a while back, and I started buying them for friends, and I just began to found that find that um, pulling one from random every day and just looking at it. And then sometimes doing doing uh, uh, doing something a little closer to to the things that, that Brian Eno does with them, where he, he lays them out on a grid and says, "Okay, these are your constraints." It it really helps uh, trigger creativity for me, and I feel like it's been helping Michael too. Yeah. Um, so the one I have today is is it finished? Question mark. Mm. I like that one. What do, you, what do you think about that, Michael Haley? Yeah, it's interesting, as you know, with the mastering engineering I do, I'm the guy that gets paid to tell you it's done, which is so hard, you know, for producers and musicians is like that it's 
like your brains will get scrambled in like, is it done? I'm not sure when it's done. That's really why you it's have really what pre- separates the men from the boys, right? Yeah. And it's really like you said, it's like a, a, a gut instinct thing where you have you have a I don't know, for me as I'm I'm the guy who's finishing stuff, you know, after it's all mixed and uh, they send it off to me uh to really like put the polish on it and really uh do quality assurance as well like i'm I'm like did you mean to have that guitar that distorted on there i may ask some questions if it sounds technically like there's an issue and um and then when i'm done with it and and i get it back to them and everything is if you have a wow factor that's really what i'm listening for magic basically is like oh this sounds amazing and then there's like a, okay, this is done. We're pretty sure if Michael, who's the guy who usually finishes record says it's done, it's probably done. And if it feels good to the artist, because ultimately their name's going on it. If they stick my name on it too, that's great, but it doesn't really matter. Cause like, it's going to be forever in the ether with their name on it. And I tell them that I said, don't worry if you make a mistake, it's just forever. <laughs> you know, right. Yeah. Like, oh. Yeah. 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 But that's the, you know, and really how important is that? I don't know. In a hundred years, are people going to remember me? Probably not. Who knows? I haven't done anything, I think, that notable yet. But like finishing records. Sure they will, buddy. Is it finished? You know, I I have a really good sense of when I think something is done because I do a lot of finishing. When my own stuff, I need to ask for help with that. You know, I really, I try not to make those decisions alone. Although I, I have a pretty good judge of it just from listening to records that are already done and then listening to stuff that's not done that I'm finishing. That's, that's my world, you know? So, uh, is it finished? I can usually, I have a pretty good sense of it. I feel like, um, watching other people twist on that decision is, is, was the biggest learning I got from knowing when something was finished. Oh yeah. yeah. I think, I think it was a combination of that. And um, again, getting back to Larry, Larry would do this thing. Larry, Larry did a really good job of, of underplaying of not getting too far up into your head about recording because he did it all the time. He just did it yeah. constantly. He had, a, he had a little four track and we would have, we'd have, we would have what he, what he used to call creep sessions on Sundays and everybody would come over. And, 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 uh, and he'd just hit record. Someone would come up with an idea that he'd hit record and uh, everybody would play. And the way that he wrote at the time, he would just pick through those tapes and, uh, and, and find, uh, find, you know, eight bars uh, that, that resonated with him out of one thing, four bars from something else. And he would kind of combine them or, or if something was a partially formed idea, he would just go with it. And, and I think that was, that was a really good lesson and not getting too hung up on yeah. knowing when it was finished because he was always really good about just just listening to something okay and going okay it's done so let's move on so that was a good learning and then and then just i mean like you know just just in my travels just being around other bands and um the uh the few times i've had to mix things and master things for other other people and other bands um that that's also a learning too. It, uh, it kind of, you, you watch what's going on with them and going, Oh, well, and, 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 you, and then, you know, you kind of take inventory of, of whether, you know, I mean, that's, that's something I, I, I do a lot and, and just think, Oh, well, I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to be like that. Yeah. 
And I've just, I've learned over time that uh, if you want to be productive and you want to make art, you got to know when it's finished. You just, you, you just got to have a pretty good idea of, 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 of when something is done. That's like, to me, that's one of the most important things. Yeah. The creative process is not to pick at it like a scab. Yeah. And I, I, I think too, I have some, some producers who I work with who are, uh, they have to let it go at some point to give it to me. And right. even then they're, they're not letting it go. Like I'll send it back to them and they're like, Oh, you know, the low end on that keyboard, you know, can, is it something you can fix or do I have to go back and fix it in the mix? And I'm less, and you know, and then we kind of figure it out. Yeah. But um, they're obsessed They're but their heads have been so into it for so long that they're sick of it too. And they, and it kind of starts to look like wallpaper. Right. And then it starts getting worse. Like you, there, there's a point of diminishing returns, right? Because yeah. you, you've listened to it so many times that it's not fresh to you anymore. And now you're just nitpicking something that, that no one really cares about. And at the end of the yeah. day, the average listener, it, you know, it's, at the end of the day, what you're trying to do in my mind with the mix is, is, is just capturing something that's going to resonate with everybody. Yeah. And, and also, you know, I, I mean, I do a lot of this still for references, you know, I'll listen to something in that genre to sort of get a sense of, you know, to stay current and fresh and like what, what sounds great when I hear amazing sounding records, I'll use those as references. There's some classics, but there's also new stuff that comes out. And I'm just like, wow, this is a beautiful sounding record. And it sounds very different than I'm used to. This is good for me to kind of keep this trained. You know, it's like, how do I uh, keep my uh, this the muscle of sort of discerning what's finished and what's not? And how well is it finished? You know, because you could stick four wheels on a on a go kart and go, well, there you go. It's a kind of a car. And then you yeah. can pull up a Ferrari next to it and go, well, that's a kind of a car. And it's like, right. Where, where are you headed? You know what I mean? They all have the same parts. Like, what are you trying to accomplish? So that's all really about intention and your goals, you know, whatever it is. And, and also letting, letting yourself be surprised, you know, there's yeah. the mistakes that come up and yes. you go, Oh, I never thought to do that. You know, even working on that last record with you, you know, where it was like, you're like, I never would have, thought to do it like that you know and i'm just like getting perspective and trying new stuff and and trusting you know working with people whose work that you like is helpful you know at whatever level we're at that's all i did and still do you know i'm still trying to learn and uh i can only do that by i learn by doing and uh, getting my ears and my my hands on stuff and trying things and just you know going oh i went a little too far on that one you know <laughs> and go back and go and correct it and then go, oh, okay, that sounds better. I feel you like should. we both been awfully, awfully lucky that way, you know? Yeah. And we, we're still we, making stuff, you know? We've been I, presented with a lot of gifts along the way. And, and, um, we were both, we've both been, yeah, had the presence, enough of the presence of mind, despite all of the, the funny business we got into, uh, to go, oh, well, that's, that's something I should pay attention to. Yeah, and it's been fun. This is, this is a good learning sure. moment here, or that's a good learn, learning moment there. This person's trying to show me something that I should pay attention to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Still a lot to learn. So much. So much. Over halfway through life, still a lot to learn. That's right. 
All right, buddy. Well, I, I, I'd say we're, we're, we're right about a time. Yeah. We'll pick up next time. I, I'll talk about, you know, I, I wanted to talk about uh, audio mastering and sort of how I got into that too. And I want to hear about your technical background too, but we'll figure out sort of as we go, this is a, uh, an ever expanding podcast. So yeah, we're, we're getting more ideas. I know. I haven't played it for anyone yet. I played it for, well, I take that back. I played it for two people. So oh, you uh, got to do that, Michael. I know. I just, I just started doing it like two days ago. So gosh, it's been so great. Just, just like the feedback that I've gotten from, from friends and, and my sister and stuff. It's been really great. Well, you know, I think, you know, the notes from Rick Rubin and I'm still with <laughs> and Brian, you know, it's a good start. Yeah. No, Rick. And then, yeah, I'm lying about that, by the way. For the audience out there, I don't know Rick Rubin, not yet. He he asked us to come out to Shangri La <laughs> to, oh. to do a, do a oh. promo episode on Broken Record. I will tell you the story another time about when when uh, Extra Fancy played at Shangri La. What with Porno for Pyros? Yeah, it was a really? it was a Fourth of July barbecue, and I'll tell you this story another time. That's that's a good cliffhanger right there. I oh, want to hear this story too. It was pretty epic. Was I was it? just like, that's when another one of those pinnacle moments where I'm like, somebody pinch me. This is um, just freaking amazing. So it's pretty crazy. So thanks for bringing up Shangri La. Yeah. All right, brother. Adios. And uh, I look forward to hearing from everyone. I don't, we got to find a way for people. Oh, to oh, so this is the thing we almost didn't do. Yeah. So for all you all you folks listening, hey, listen, you know, a, a lot of people on YouTube channels say it and, and they don't really explain why, but but leave some comments, give us some feedback. And and uh, I promise, you know, that, you know, there's always a reason for people asking to do this stuff, to do these sorts of things. And and I know it's it always sounds kind of kind of rote at this point for those if you're like a, a YouTube addict like myself. Um, you know, we're going to we'll, we'll read it and we'll do things with it. We'll mixed we'll make magic uh based on your ideas and your input and your shows so so leave some comments and and give us feedback you can uh do that on on the apple podcasts app uh wherever else you listen to this we're, we're, at, we're actually you know we're up on oh my gosh like 13 different services now spotify apple uh apple podcasts uh google uh tune in i can't even name them all we're we're pretty much everywhere. Anywhere that you can you can leave feedback for us, leave it. Um, also, uh, you can find Michael Hately on Twitter at Michael Hately. It's just his name, H uh, A T E L E Y. We'll we'll put it in uh, the episode. You can okay. find me at uh, D underscore Madden, and and find us there. Get us on Twitter. Check out uh, check out the Penal Colony album Michael and I uh, worked on the demos release. Uh, that there will be a link for that in the episode too. That's right. And if you need any mastering services, you can go to lotusmastering.com. Go to lotusmastering.com for all your mastering needs. People. And there's extra fancy junk on YouTube and yeah, we'll 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 put some uh, we'll put some links for extra fancy stuff in there too. Check your local thrift stores for copies of that old record. Your local or record. Go to the used bin. Your, your local used used record outlet. <laughs> That's about the only place you'll find them. Yeah. Anyway. All right, man. Thanks again. Signing off. See you, everybody.
Adios. Copy.